Thank you so much, John. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Doing good. I'm glad. Uh, for those of you guys who know me, um, you guys know uh, in classic Alex form, no matter how hard uh, or serious I try to be, I just can't. Uh, lo and behold, the very first thing I do is drop a water bottle. I come up and just boop. So uh, yeah, so if you guys don't know me, I am uh, Alex and uh, the youth director here, and I'm blessed to be able to teach uh, today. Uh, today we're actually going to be reading from Ephesians 5. So if you want to open your books to Ephesians 5, and to catch you guys up to speed on a little bit of what we've been doing here as a church, we have been going through a series called Letters from a Pastor. And essentially what we've been doing is we've been following as Paul has been writing uh, letters to the early church with really one goal in mind. He is attempting to establish the gospel into the early church and really protect it and make sure they understand that it's solidified there. And Paul, if you guys are unfamiliar, he wasn't always Paul. He was actually a man named Saul, um, and he was a religious zealot who... Uh, actually, in the name of God, persecuted Christians and persecuted Christ. He thought he was doing what was right. Uh, but that all changed when he had an encounter with Jesus, an encounter with a living, breathing Jesus after his death. And after that encounter, it changed everything. And so with that in mind, I have a note for the screen today. The note and the main idea for today is a life transformed through Christ's redeeming work on the cross, we have been given a newness of life. How do we as Christians live a life transformed by the gospel? Just like Paul, who had an encounter with Jesus, his life is transformed, and it's easy for us to see that. How do we as Christians live that out? How do we live lives transformed? So again, in Ephesians 1, uh, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So right off the bat, in the very first two verses, Paul gives us two charges. He tells us to do these two things. He says, one, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. And the second thing he tells us is walk in love. But he doesn't just tell us what to do. He also tells us how we are to do it. We are to be imitators of God. How? As beloved children. And we are to walk in love. How? As Christ walked in love, in sacrificial love. It says that Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Awesome. Those are two great things that Paul calls us to do. He gives us how to do it. But Why? The good question is, why be imitators of God? Why walk in love? You know, is it just because Paul says? Is this a game of Paul says? No, he actually tells us in the very beginning, the very first word, therefore. There is a reason why we're called to be imitators of God. There's a reason why we're supposed to walk in love. And he actually gives us that way back in the very beginning of this letter in Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, 4 through 11, he gives a gospel account. And just so you guys are aware, what I'm about to read right now is actually one of the longest run-on sentences in the entire Bible. So to spare you guys, I decided to, to edit it and shorten it just a little bit. Now, it's all good stuff. I'm not cutting anything important, but I wanted to save us a little bit of time. Uh, but Ephesians 1, 4 through 11 says this. 
He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He set forth Christ as a plan to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That is the gospel. So why are we to be imitators of God? Why are we to walk in love? Because the gospel. Paul says right here, from the very beginning, there was God. And God created, and it was good. He created heaven, he created earth, he created the land, he created us as humans, and it was good. But then sin entered the world, and with it came things that God didn't intend for us to know or to experience, things like death, the brokenness of this world. And when sin entered the world, we were no longer sons of God. We were separated from him. We were sons and slaves to that sin. But God, from the beginning, had a plan. He had a plan to redeem us as sons and daughters, to adopt us back. And that plan was Jesus Christ. He sent his son to live the life that you and I were called to live but couldn't and paid the price that you and I were called to pay but didn't. He did it for us. And as a result, he's redeemed us to God. And that was the plan from the beginning. It's the plan today, and it's the plan for the future. And he's going to free us from sin, and he is going to, like it says at the very end of Ephesians 1, 4 through 11, to unite all things in him, all things in heaven and all things in earth. That's the gospel. So why are we called to be imitators of God as beloved children? Because God made us beloved children through his work in Christ. And why are we to walk in love? Because Christ walked in love, and we are redeemed through him. So here's a note for the screen. Imitators of Christ. Christians, being the adopted sons and daughters of God, are called to become imitators of Christ. What does this look like? What does it look like to be imitators of Christ? Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper with the saints. These things must not even be named among you. He tells us, how do we be imitators of Christ? Well, not by these things. We are not to be sexually immoral or impure or covetous. By the way, covetous is simply wanting the thing that God doesn't have for us. That's what it means to be covetous. And we're not to be known by these things. Why? Well, because Jesus wasn't known by these things. Jesus wasn't sexually immoral. Jesus wasn't impure. And Jesus wasn't covetous. And it's important to identify with what Paul's saying here. Paul is asking us, where in our lives do we not imitate Christ? Where in our lives are we living apart or, or not in line with what Jesus has represented or done for us? Where do we fall short? In verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Paul says that we are to watch even the ways that we speak, even the things that we joke about. And we're supposed to imitate Jesus in our lives, but we're also supposed to imitate Jesus in how we speak. And I got to be completely honest, when I really examine my life, I fall short here. 
I fall short here. I think I'm funny. Uh, <laughs> and I, we're called that, like, where is it in our life? Where is it in our speech that doesn't look like Christ? When Christ spoke, it was, he spoke life. When Christ spoke, there was healing. When Christ spoke, even when the hard things, it was in truth and it was in love. And I, I recognize that I fall short here. I can hear right now, too, I used to justify it. It's just a joke. You know, I, who am I hurting? I don't actually mean it, right? It's just, it's just funny. You know, I don't actually mean it. Well, so why, why are we supposed to even watch our speech? Well, Jesus has input here. Um, in Luke 6, 45, he says this to the disciples. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says that the things that we say reveals what's in our hearts. Reveals the things that we believe, the things that we think. Here's a note for the screen. Speaking from the heart. Paul tells us to change our speech, and Jesus tells us that the mouth speaks out of abundance from the heart. What does our speech reveal about our hearts? What does our speech reveal about our hearts? What are some of the things that we joke about? You know, we joke about a lot. I know that I make a lot of jokes. Oftentimes, it's about image. If you've been around the church uh, long enough, you might have heard Pastor Jeff joke about my funny pants. Alex wears funny pants, Right? Uh, we joke about height, we, you know, how's the weather up there? <laughs> but there's other things that we joke about, like besides image, we joke about weight. We joke about serious things like race. We joke about stereotypes. Why do we joke about these things? More importantly, why do we find it funny? Are you guys familiar with the saying, uh, it's funny because it's true? I wonder if Jesus would agree to that statement, given the, what he says out of his own mouth, where he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think Jesus would agree. It's funny because it's true. It's funny, and we find these things funny because we actually believe these things. So what do we do when we examine our, our speech and we recognize, okay, my speech is no good. What, what do I do now? Do I just stop? Well, if we continue reading verse 4, as a matter of fact, I'll reread verse 4. Paul says, Let there be no filthiness, nor fullest talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. Paul doesn't tell us to just knock it off. He doesn't tell us just to stop. He says, change it. He says to replace the speech, replace the jokes. Stop focusing on these things that you think are funny. Instead, focus on the things that are good, the things that are of God, the things that you have to be thankful for. Paul says for us to change our speech, Jesus tells us that speech is a matter of the heart. Therefore, changing our speech means changing our hearts. 
I know that we have a tendency here to think of a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's, a bunch of don'ts. Do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. But it's not about the things that we do or don't do. It's about the heart. Paul warned us earlier of sexual immorality and covetousness, which is a reminder is the desire of wanting things that aren't of God or wanting things that God doesn't have for you. But Paul says, replace these things with thanksgiving. Do you know what the opposite of covetousness is? Being thankful. That's the cure. When I have a desire for something that's not mine, like, for example, let's just say a random celebrity crush. Man, I, I want that person. The cure for that is to be thankful for what I already have. When I, change my, when I change my focus and I remember what God's given me to be thankful for, I don't need this person because God's given me my beautiful wife, Renee. And there's so many things to be thankful for. She's pretty. She's kind. She laughs at my jokes. Right? She loves me despite this nose, this huge thing, my funny pants. She loves me despite my flaws. I have so many things to be thankful for. And when we focus on the things that God's given us and what he's done for us, it changes our desires. Like, you know what? I don't want this thing anymore. I don't want this thing anymore. When we focus on what God's done for us, it changes our desires. It changes our hearts. In verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That was a heavy couple of verses. Paul is hammering how serious this is. How serious it is to be sexually immoral or impure or covetous. Our tendency here is to think that he's talking about others. That he's talking about them. But remember, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of believers. He's writing to us as Christians. He says, even in the verse, he says, For the wrath of God comes upon who? The sons of disobedience. Sons. He's talking about us, those who have been adopted as sons and daughters of Christ. Paul right here is calling out what it looks like, the seriousness of what it looks like to claim to be a follower of Christ, but living an unchanged life, a life that doesn't look different from the way that it was before. That's what Paul's calling out here. That's what Paul is hammering on. Here's a note for the screen. Christ requires change. To be a follower of Christ requires change. What is it that may be that may what may God be calling us to change today? What are some of those things in our life that God's asking us to let go of or or to switch or to change? It could be small things, it could be big things. And this can land for anybody, no matter where you are. For one, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't given your life to, to Christ yet, if you haven't done that yet, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear that there's a promise for you. This is an invitation that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you are a follower of Christ, when you accept that gospel, God promises change. 
good change for you. You were invited to take a part of that today. It could be the change that you, things in, that you want. It could be changes and things that you don't even know you want or need yet. I had a conversation with someone extremely important with me, important to me, not too long ago. Probably the most important person to me in my life besides my wife. And he had an amazing conversation, and he was just, I want to change. I want to change, and, and I want to love my family better. I want, I want better. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Praise God. And here's the promise of that. The promise is things are going to change. The promise is he will be transformed. His life, his circumstances, everything will be transformed. If you are new in your walk in Christ, if you accepted Jesus Christ recently, in the last year, in the last two years, you're probably going through a lot of changes right now. You're recognizing, man, God has changed my life here and here, or, or my circumstances are changing, some of them for the better, some of them not so great. You know, God, Jesus doesn't promise us, you know, rainbows and sunshine the whole time. Sometimes our relationships with others change or our circumstances change, but they're, for, they're good. I encourage you, if, if you're new in your walk in Christ, what are the, what is the, the question for you is, what is God calling you to change next? What's that next big piece of transformation for you? And if you're a mature believer and you've been walking with Christ for a while now, we have a tendency here. That tendency is we get a little comfortable. We're used to the gospel. We're used to these things. We're used to the Bible. I know this Bible verse. I've heard it 45 times already. And, you know, it just doesn't hit me the same anymore. Or we get to this place where, you know, I know I'm not perfect. I know we haven't arrived yet. But I also know that we're never going to fully arrive. So we may fool ourselves sometimes in thinking, God's happy where I am. And I challenge you, let this be that message for you today. If that is where you are as, as, a, as a mature believer and you're walking Christ, what are those things that God still may be calling you to change? What are, what are those things to just let go? We have many different options, but here's what's not an option. To accept Christ and refuse to change. We cannot accept Christ and refuse to allow him to transform us in any way. And verse 7, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to God. If you're a follower of Jesus, how do we live a life that's transformed by Christ? How do we do that? Well, Jesus, it, Paul tells us right here, the first things first, don't partner with those who are in darkness. Don't partner with them. Don't do as they do. Don't partner with those who are sexually immoral, impure, or covetous. Now, I need you to hear, Paul isn't saying, don't be around them. Paul isn't saying, don't engage, don't be friends with them. Paul isn't saying avoid them. No, he's just saying don't partner. Don't partake. 
Don't be a part of it. He says, don't do what you do. Don't do what they do. We're not imitators of the world. We're not imitators of the dark. We're imitators of Christ. Walk as children of light. Be imitators of Christ. All right, Alex. Well, what does that mean? To be imitators of Christ. I'm not sinless. Jesus was sinless. Am I supposed to follow all the commandments? Am I supposed to literally hang myself up on a cross? Like, what does that mean to be an imitator of Christ? It's a great question. Jesus gives us the answer. In John 14, 12, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says, you want to be an imitator of me? Believe in me. When you believe in me, you will naturally do the things and do the works that I do. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this doesn't mean if you love me, you better make sure you keep my commandments. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that you better keep my commandments if you love me. No, that's that's backwards. No, Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will. Love me first, and you will find that you will naturally be keeping in line and following the commandments. Being an imitator of Christ doesn't happen through a checklist of actions or behaviors. Rather, you will naturally become an imitator of Christ when you love him. Because when you love him, you will naturally do the things that he loves. Here's a note for the screen. Transformation through love. Being a Christian isn't about changing our behavior. It's about changing our hearts. A life loving Jesus will naturally transform into a life that looks like Jesus. Focus on loving Jesus. In verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. When we love Jesus more, We learn more about him. We learn what pleases him and we naturally want to do the things that please him. When I look at my wife and I want to love my wife better, I just start looking at her. I just start loving her better. I start learning these little things. I start learning that she loves stranger things. She loves movies. Oh my gosh. I never realized how much she loves taro milk tea with boba. These things please her. So what do I do? Because I love her and I love to do the things that please her, I'll go get her a taro milk tea with boba. I don't, she doesn't have to ask me. She doesn't have to tell me or remind me. I just paid attention. And I please her. I just give her. I just do it. Why? Because I love her. I love her first. It naturally happens. Same thing with our God. Same thing with the Lord. We learn the things that, we, that he loves, the things that he likes, the things that please him. And just because we love him, we start doing those things. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Take no part, expose the darkness. Now careful, our tendency as Christians when we hear this, we tend to make this about others. We want to make this about others. We hear this and we often want to expose their darkness. Expose it. But remember, Paul isn't speaking about them. He's speaking to us. This isn't a a verse about 
us going and exposing what people do in darkness. Rather, this is about us finding the darkness in us and exposing it to God. And and verse 12, Paul hits this. He says, For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. We aren't to speak about the things that they do in darkness or the things that they do in secret. It's not about them. When we speak about those things that they do, it's not loving, it's not building, it's not healing, it's gossip. That's destructive. It destroys. Rather, we use the light that's been given to us to expose the darkness that's in us to God. Here's a note for the screen. Darkness and light. Paul is showing us how our old way of life, apart from Christ, is dark. Yet now, empowered by the gospel, is light. How may we be lights in a dark world? How, how do we become the light in this world? And verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So how do you become lights in the dark world? Because when we start loving Christ and and God starts transforming us and we start doing things different, people notice. We are made lights. People see the changes that that go through us. People start to see God in us. That's how we become lights to the world. When you begin to live a life changed by Jesus, the people around you can't help but to notice. People start seeing God through you. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, Paul says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Jesus is, uh, Paul is saying, when we were dead in our sin, Christ made us alive. Christ made us light. And when we are made alive, people around us, they, they see it. They notice. There's something different. What are some of the ways that we will look differently from the rest of the world? Well, uh, verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise but unwise. This is one of the ways that we look different from the world around us. One, we examine ourselves. We're constantly looking in and we're looking for those little things of change. Okay, God, what's next? I've given you this. I'm struggling here. And we're called to, to walk wisely. And that wisdom doesn't come from us. It comes from the Spirit. We get our wisdom from God, from the Word. He gives us discernment. We walk differently this way. Verse 16, making the best use of our time because the days are evil. When you are filled with the Spirit, when you are transformed in Christ, we spend our time differently. We don't do the things that, we, that other people are doing around us. No, rather, instead of binge watching Netflix shows or, or, or on YouTube or however else you, people use their time. We are in the house of God. We're praying. We're reading our word. We use our time differently. Verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't fill yourself with anything else. Don't fill yourself with wine or anger or pride or knowledge. 
It says, be filled with the Spirit. And that is the key to being lights in the dark world. The thing that is different, the thing that makes this message today that you hear in this church different from some feel-good, encouraging, motivational speech message is we know and recognize that the thing that makes us different is the Holy Spirit in us. That is the thing that shines through. That is where transformation of Christ happens. When we fall in love with Jesus, when we accept him as Lord and Savior, we get that spirit and it fills us and that's what enacts change. That is the key difference. So Generations Church, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to respond to the word today, to respond what God has done for us and done through us and continuing to do to us. And Paul gives us this beautiful picture and I'm gonna close with this. Paul gives us this beautiful picture of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. In verse 19 through 21, he says, But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When we worship, when we speak and address to each other promises of God, the goodness of God, things to be thankful for, That's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Giving thanks always, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful. We are grateful. We recognize what God has done. We recognize the blessings that he's given us. And verse 21, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? We look humble. We submit to one another. Why? Because we recognize that you, me, and this person, and this person, and this person, and this person, we all come from the same place, broken, dead in our sin, made alive in Christ. And in that humility, we're able to submit to one another, love one another, serve one another, and be lights to a dark world. Generations, would you pray with me? Father God, I pray first off and foremost, thank you. Thank you for, from the very beginning, having a plan to bring us back to being sons and daughters of you. You sent your own son, Lord. You sent Jesus to live and die in our place. But it didn't end at the cross. Jesus, you rose again. You defeated death. You live. And now, in that, we know that we can live again. We know that you've made us new. And so, Father, we pray. Reveal to us those areas and those things in us that we need to change. To look more like your son, Jesus, who did it all. Who brought us back to life. And I pray as we enter into a time of worship, Lord, would your spirit fill this place? Would we be filled with the spirit? May it empower us to sing, to speak praises, to be thankful, to be humble. Would your spirit come and break down any walls that there may be here today? whether those walls be pride or or stubbornness or whatever it is, would you empower us? 
would you make us alive this morning? Remind us who we are. And come in a place where we worship and praise you, a God who's done it all. We love you. Father God, hear your church this morning. Thank you for your word. It is in your name that we pray.